with the 32nd pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast. I'm Fran Duffy, and one of the biggest weekends in the college football season is now in the rearview mirror, giving us plenty to chat about this week on the podcast here today. We begin things at the top of this week's show on Draft Buzz, where I chat with Tony Pauline from DraftAnalyst.com to get the latest news and notes from around the country with an eye towards next year's NFL Draft. We've got some risers and sliders to hit on with Tony as we get into the home stretch now of the regular season, which is crazy to think about. After Draft Buzz, we'll then transition to scouting report where this week I'm going to break down one of the top senior defensive tackles in the country with Gerald Willis III from Miami. This kid jumped off the screen back in week one in the Hurricanes matchup with LSU and he has seen his stock soar this year. I think he's got a skill set that would honestly play well here in Philadelphia and I'll explain why in that segment. After that we'll get to Mr. Relevant where this week we've got the pleasure of welcoming in Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network to talk to the talk about some of his favorite players from around the country and then next up we've got our Saturday scouting segment where Ben Fennel drops in to talk about his takeaways from out west before diving into this week's road trip where he heads back down south. Then we wrap things up with our draft mailbag where we'll take a question or two from you guys and answer them here on the show. As always, we've got a ton going on this week, so let's get things started here with the latest and greatest surrounding the 2019 draft with our buddy Tony Pauline. It's time for some draft buzz. Now it's time for draft buzz. It's time to welcome in the best in the business when it comes to breaking news surrounding the NFL draft, and that is Tony Pauline, the draft insider extraordinaire from draftanalyst.com. And Mr. Pauline, let's get things started this week out west with Bryce Love. This season clearly has not gone as well as he would have hoped after being a Heisman finalist a year ago. The Cardinal really has not been able to get on track yet, and neither has he. Love has only gone for over 100 yards rushing once all season. It came back in week two against USC. I mean, He hasn't gone over 75 yards since mid-September against Oregon. He's missed a couple of games here and there due to injury. What are scouts saying about Love at this point, Tony? He's definitely going to drop compared to where the expectations were uh, when he came into the season. I mean, let's not forget, he got a huge grade from scouts who thought he was going to be a mid-first-round selection. His game is way off, and you could see it early on. You, you talk about that one game against Oregon. I mean, he started off 29 yards on 18 carries against San Diego State. So uh, he's going to drop. In, in some ways, I've talked to people who think that the injury and the fact that he's off this year may be a blessing for him long term. It's going to hurt him short term, but it may, it may help him long term. And what do I mean? I mean, during one of our first podcasts, I mentioned one of the big concerns about Love was his workload. I mean, he had 263 carries in 2017, 111 carries the prior year. There were some thoughts that he could enter the draft with 650 carries under his belt during his college career at Stanford. It's looking more like it's going to be at least 100 carries less than that. It's going to be closer to 500. So, you know, the wear and tear, it's not what he's expected. I'm sure he went back to school hoping for the Heisman Trophy or to contend for the Heisman Trophy. That's not going to happen. But the, the uh, less wear and tear on his body this year could help lengthen his uh, NFL career at the next level. Yeah, you and I both like him the play, as the player. I mean, I think a lot of people will be very quick to point and say, oh, you know, he should have come out last year as a junior. This wouldn't have happened. He would have gone in the first round. I mean, you and I talked, Tony, back in the summer 
we talked about love, and we both saw, at best, a day-two choice. Like, that's how you and I both felt. There were scouts' grades that had him higher than that, obviously. Uh, I know that there's you know, a decent chance that that may even be a stretch to this point, but I, I wouldn't want this to be the case where people turn around and say it's almost like Matt Barkley was a few years ago, where all, you know, if he had declared as a junior, he would have gone top five, but he went back to school and he was a fourth-round pick. I think there were concerns with Love coming into the year. He just hasn't done much to help them in, in 2018. Is that something you would agree with, or am I kind of talking out of school here? Yeah, no, I, I mean, he's going to go a little bit lower this year. I still think, from what I hear, he's definitely going to be a uh... – a second-day choice. I mean, he, he's not having a bad season. He's just having a season where he's been injured. You know, now, where would he have gone last year? I mean, how early would he have gone? You had Saquon Barkley at the top of the draft. Then you had Rashad Penny with the 27th pick. That was a bit of a uh, surprise. Sonny Michelle uh, with the 31st pick. Nick Chubb with the 35th pick. You know, Derry's guys fell because that was off-the-field issues. But, you know, it, he wouldn't have gone behind in front of uh, Nick Chubb. You know, would the Patriots have taken uh, Bryce Love over uh, Sonny Michelle? I, I don't think so. Um, you know, the fact is this. Uh, you, you can never knock a kid for going back to school. You yep. never want to do that. And while we talk about is a player physically met, uh, ready, especially an underclassman, is he physically ready for the next level, we talk about what are his height, what's his height and weight, what is his true 40 time. We never really ask, is he mentally prepared for the next level as much as we should. And that was the case with uh, Bryce Love. I mean, all the information that I was getting up to uh, the deadline for juniors to declare, which was January 15th, was his father was telling everybody that he was going to stay in school. He didn't have some big press conference. If memory serves me right, all he did was put a tweet out after the deadline saying that he was happy to stay at Stanford. So that kind of gave you some of his his reference as far as his frame of mind, that he was happy in college, he liked the college game. Like I said, he probably wanted to go back and make a run at the Heisman Trophy. So it's not a matter of just, you know, we had concerns about him physically. I just think mentally he wasn't prepared because he enjoyed the college game so much, and, and that, you know, that happened. Yeah, I, I think when you look at a player like this, I mean, uh, you talk about from the mental standpoint, you're 1,000% correct. And then from a physical standpoint, I mean, look, he, he's very undersized for the next level. I think if he had come out a year ago, I don't think people would be taught. You're exactly right with looking at last year's class. We would not have been talking about him in the top half of the first round. We would have been talking about him, at, you know, at best, at best early day two. Like, I, and I just, that's the player that he put on film last year when he was so productive. And I still think that skill set still translates. It's just, you know, in terms of value at that position and how he's used, I think we're talking about a mid day two, you know, potentially as late as early day three. I think that's kind of where we're looking at as long as nothing shows up from a medical red flag standpoint uh, at the combine. But let's flip the script here, Tony, and go a little bit more on the positive side of things. This weekend was one of the best of the season with so many high profile games, and they did not disappoint. My favorite game honestly to watch every single season is Alabama LSU with so much pro talent on the field on both sidelines while it wasn't much of a game uh, the tide did roll to a blowout victory it certainly did allow some guys to put their skill set on display yeah this Alabama offense and Tua Tagovailoa they're legit but that Crimson Tide defense up front they are phenomenal I feel like we heard Quinn and Williams name every other play uh, what were your takeaways from that game Tony on Saturday night yeah, and this shouldn't be uh, this shouldn't be unexpected because this is exactly what we talked about a week ago on this podcast. LSU's ability or inability to slow down uh, the Bama defensive front seven would be the difference, and, and they couldn't slow them down. You know, the fact about Bama is is they're not just great football players, they're not just great athletes, but they're smart football players. They play assignment football. They stay uh, 
they remain disciplined. You, you know, you don't see a lot of out-of-control play, and that's due to the coaching. You know, Nick Saban basically squeezes every ounce of football ability out of these guys on the college level, and it's why some people in the league, some general managers, feel that when a lot of Alabama players enter the NFL, they're basically tapped out. Uh, it's not, you know, that's not to be offensive. It's just to say that Nick Saban such a such a tremendous coach. You know, but getting back to, to William, you know, he made some incredible plays against the run where he basically looked like a linebacker with his ability to, to redirect and adjust the ball carrier, square into the uh, ball carrier, then wrap up. People ask me why I didn't have Williams as a riser this week. Well, he's got a very big test of this upcoming weekend against Mississippi State and El- Elton Jenkins, yes. uh, the interior offensive lineman who plays center, 6'4", 300 pounds. So that's going to be a, a, another big challenge for Williams. Raekwon Smith and Isaiah Bugs look very athletic, very explosive. Again, not high as far as not great stats, but if you watch them occupying the blocks and letting the linebackers and even the safeties make plays. You know, what impressed me with Tagovailoa Lea was just his, his quarterback smarts. We know he's got the great physical skills, but his, his smarts impressed me. perfect example of that was beginning of the third quarter, Greedy Williams, the cornerback from LSU, made a great play to defend the, the uh, pass which I believe was going to Devontae Smith. And then in the next play, they sent Greedy Williams on a cornerback blitz. Tagovailoa sends the blitz. He saw it. He just threw the ball away. Just got rid of the play. Said, I'm not going to get cute here. Just threw the ball away. And that's, that's a big league play. That's an NFL play for a quarterback who's got all the physical skills, who makes big plays down the field with his arm, who at that point had one interception for the entire season just to get rid of the ball and say, listen, we're going we're to regroup and start again. Again, Alabama, great athletes, great football players, and they're smart football players. Nothing but high, great respect for that program. Well, you, re- you referenced that risers and sliders, Colantonia, and I'm one of the thousands that read that every single week. And, you know, every week on that, on that piece, you're always going to highlight a small school player uh, worth watching as well as a sleeper to keep an eye on. And this week, that sleeper is UMass wide receiver Andy Isabella. I'm going to be honest, I know absolutely nothing about this kid. I watched the UMass running back, Marquise Young, over the summer. But tell me why we need to be paying attention to Isabella, Tony. And Young is a legitimate next-level pro prospect. I mean, Isabella is a good uh, pass catcher who's just been crazy productive this year. A Julian Edelman type, that's the best way to describe him. A little bit undersized, incredibly quick, just great football sense on the field, runs crisp routes, gets separation, doesn't have great deep speed. It's not a guy that's going to be a vertical threat, but a guy who knows how to find a soft spot in the underneath coverage, a guy who extends his hands, uh, consistently catches the ball with great fundamentals. I mean, it's a, a situation where opposing defenses know the ball is going to him, yet they can't stop him. He finds a way to get open. He finds a way to make himself an available target. Very good running after the catch. and He's got some uh, ability as, as a return specialist. I think you'll probably end up, this is a guy who, when he entered the season, scouts gave him a street free agent grade. If he runs well, I think he ends up in the late rounds. And again, type of guy like a Julian Edelman, you line him up in the slot, use him as a return specialist, maybe you use him on an occasional reverse, a very good fourth or fifth receiver at the next level. Well, Tony, you mentioned one big preview for this week, and that's Alabama-Mississippi State down in the trenches, that offensive line uh, for Mississippi State going up against the Alabama D-line. I know there's one other big matchup, this one in the ACC, a similar type of battle between two sides of the line of scrimmage, Clemson-Boston College. Who are the prospects you're excited to see in this one? 
Yeah, we we got to go back and revisit Mitch Hyde, who we spoke about a couple of weeks ago in his big matchup against Brian Burns of Florida State and the Florida State Speed Rushers. And, and Mitch Hyatt uh, really stood out and won that battle. Now he's going up against a different type of defensive lineman. He's going up against the power and the intellect of Zach Allen. Zach Allen, I agree, is the top 15 pick in the draft. I think he's probably going to end up the bottom half of round one just because of the uh, the depth and the numbers on the defensive line position. But this guy, he's fundamental. He's fantastic. He plays with great leverage, exceptional hand use, a guy whose motor never stops. He's not the speed rusher of Brian Burns of Florida State, who Mitch Hyatt was able to shut down. He's more of a power guy. So this is going to be a good challenge to basically show Hyatt that he can handle the stronger guys, not only in pass protection, but kind of turn him off the line of scrimmage on running down. So, uh, again, another opportunity for Hyatt to, to basically show that he's got all that it takes to play the next level, while Zach Allen wants to prove that he belongs in the end of the, or the middle of round one. Uh, the other matchup would be Chris Lindstrom of Boston College versus the power and the, and the athleticism on, on the interior of the Clemson defensive line with Christian Williams and Dexter Lawrence. You know, Lindstrom's a guy that I've written about the past couple of years. He's a tackle, or he played tackle up until his junior year. He moved inside the guard, uh, and he's a tough workman-like uh, type of lineman. Not the greatest athlete but fundamentally sound, understands what's happening, makes, a good, makes good use of angles and body positioning, really a slugged-out guy who plays through the, uh, through the whistle. You know, against Christian Wilkins, he's going to have to show that he can handle that athletic guy that can go sideline to sideline, can make uh, plays laterally, and, and he's got the quickness and agility to get around him, so he's got to show the ability to adjust. And then against Dexter Lawrence, it's just a pure power guy. He's got to show that he's got that base that he can anchor and pass protection or turn him off the line. I think both Mitch Hyde of Clemson and Chris Lindstrom of Boston College are going to be solid middle-round picks, guys that you know you could bring in to add some depth and some youth on the offensive line. You can de- develop for the future. I think both guys in time could be starters, but at the very least could be very inexpensive and effective utility uh, blockers for an offensive line who can play different positions up front. Yeah, and you mentioned Dexter Lawrence there, certainly one of the more talented underclassmen defensive linemen in this upcoming class. We'll see if he does decide to declare. Uh, one guy you could also throw into that same boat is Michigan defensive end Rashawn Gary, and he is the subject this week in our mock dra- draft roundup here, Tony. Uh, we're going to go down to NBC Sports Washington. Our friend of the podcast, Ben Standig, put out his mock draft recently over the last few days, and he's got the Eagles selecting 16th overall, taking Rashawn Gary, uh, a New Jersey native who has been a a three, you know, the two-year starter for the Wolverines. Let me ask this question there, Tony, because everybody's talking about Rashawn Gary this high. We'll talk about his value there in your eyes, and then also, do you see him more as an edge rusher or as an interior defensive lineman? Because I think there you could make an argument there for both, and certainly a guy who could offer that flexibility to go between both spots. Yeah, well, first of all, if he's there at 16 and I'm the Eagles, I can't run to the podium fast enough with his name on the card. If he's, at, if he's available at 16, it's more that there are problems with the shoulder or there's problems with the injuries that have kept him on the sidelines, other than the fact that, uh, you know, questions about his playing ability. Because from a playing standpoint, I think he's a top-six pick. The guy is, uh, you know, you talk about him as, as potentially an interior defensive lineman, but when you watch him play, he's got exceptional quickness, ex- exceptional speed off the edge. He's a great pass rusher. He's just been slowed by injuries this year, uh, and that's the problem. But if you go back to the 2017 film, I mean, he was unstoppable. He is just an explosive edge rusher uh, who rates as a top-six pick, and the only reason he's going to fall is because there are concerns about the injuries he suffered this year. We don't know that yet. 
as far as an edge rusher or an interior uh, defensive lineman, you know, I, I think he's a defensive end uh, in a 4-3, whether you want to say he's an edge rusher or, or, or whatever. I think he's going to be a, a, a defensive end in a 4-3. That, when times when you go to three-man lines on third-down passing plays, you can have him rush for more of an interior position. He's got the size. He's got growth potential. He's got great quickness, exceptional athleticism, great speed off the edge. Uh, a lot to like in this game, and, you know, if he's there at 16 and I'm the Eagles, I'm either jumping all over him or I'm looking to see if I could trade down and, and get some extra selections. Yeah, he's got some similarities to, like, a Jadavion Clowney with his size and speed and just that, that athleticism, physical combo. Uh, I think that there are some, you know, some similarities there. Uh, a very, very intriguing player. Just has to put it all together. You know, watching him as a sophomore, not a guy that I saw was very polished in really anything that he did, but uh, you saw a lot of really, really impressive flashes with him on film. Well, Tony, thank you again, as always, for joining us here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. We'll talk to you here again next week. Absolutely. Great stuff from Tony. You can follow on Twitter at Tony Pauline. And by no, you can always find me on Twitter at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the stuff I'm working on over at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. So things like Eagle Eye in the Sky articles, the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, our Saturday scouting column, whatever X's and O's content you're looking for, they'll be there as well as on PhiladelphiaEagles.com or on the Eagles mobile app. All right, let's keep things rolling here. I teased earlier in the show that I would break down Miami defensive tackle Jared Willis, one of the top defensive linemen in the senior class, and he is the subject this week in our scouting report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, so Gerald Willis, 6'2", 298 pounds. He's taken a bit of a roundabout journey to being considered a potential first-round pick in media mock drafts right now around the country. Willis is the younger brother of giant safety Landon Collins. He was a five-star recruit just like his brother was, and just like his brother, he decided to leave the New Orleans area for an SEC school. But instead of following his brother to Alabama, Willis went a little bit further south and a little bit further east to Gainesville to join the Florida Gators. He spent one year there, but due to some off-the-field issues, he transferred transferred to Miami, played nine games for them in 2016. Then he took the year off to kind of sort things out away from football. He said that he had a lot of personal and family issues to take care of, and he spent some time focusing on that and getting reps on the scout team. So when he returned to the team full-time this past spring in 2018, he looked like a new man, and all the reports, all the coaches and teammates were excited about him. Everybody seems like they're very proud of him and how far he's come, and he's actually been named a game captain a couple of times this year by Mark Richt, so it seems like he's turned the corner, and he's turned into a really dominant force inside for the Miami Hurricanes. Now, let's get to what I saw from him on film, watch two games from him so far from this season, so still early in the evaluation, but here's a little bit of what I've seen so far. This is a one-year starter at three technique for Manny Diaz in that 4-3 scheme, lined up sometimes as a zero technique and some of their sub packages did get some reps at one tackle as well and some of their tighter fronts very short very solid build though bubble butt tiny hands um, but his best athletic trait is his initial quickness he's not a truly explosive guy in the open field that's going to wow you uh, or really you know wow you with his ability to change speeds mid-stride but he's quick and he displays pretty good change of direction in the backfield. You know, he times that snap really well. He's quick out of his stance. As a pass rusher, his go-to move is that quick swim move off the ball. He can also work in a quick, soft club rip move, and he's fairly effective with that as well. So those two go-to moves work out really well for him. He's always hand-fighting as a pass rusher to try and keep himself clean, and he's proven the ability to string those moves together in one rush. He looks to disrupt passing lanes if he can't get home to the quarterback, and he was used often on stunts and twists because of his athletic 
athletic ability, and I think he's effective in those games up front. He attacks blocks in the run game with solid hat and hand placement, does try to stack and shed and use his hands there, and he's got an above-average motor in pursuit. He has his two go-to moves as a pass rusher, but outside of that, he doesn't have a deep toolbox, and he doesn't show the ability to effectively counter once blocked off the ball, lacks any sort of power right now as a pass rusher. So based on what I've seen so far, he needs to be able to generate better movement with his bull rush. He doesn't have that right now, lacks the play strength as well to drop his anchor against double teams and hold his ground in the run game. That's the biggest knock I have on Willis at this point. He gets moved off his spot a little bit too easily, spends a little bit too much time on the ground, and he'll go in high as a tackler can do a better job of just wrapping up and getting his man down to the ground. Look, the character is going to need to be checked out. And he obviously, uh, the other thing too, is he tore his MCL back in 2016. So that could be an issue as well medically, but he's got a quick first step. He's got the ability to make plays on the other side of the line of scrimmage. I think he'll fit very well as a three technique and a one gap scheme at the next level, just like the Eagles run here. He's got that ability to penetrate and make plays on the other side of the line of scrimmage. The only concern is his ability to hold up at the point of attack as a three down player. Now, if you're going to see him as a situational pass rusher, I think right away he can serve that role then eventually develop into that every down guy but certainly a name to keep an eye on that's how I view Gerald Willis again one of the top interior disruptors in this class all right let's keep things rolling here I was happy to be joined by Kyle Krabs on Mr. Relevant to talk about some of his favorite prospects in the nation and how they'll transition to the NFL let's get to that chat right now it's time for Mr. Relevant Joining us this week on Mr. Relevant, none other than Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network. We've had a lot of these guys on. I know John Ledyard and Ben Solak have joined us already. And if you haven't, if you listen to this podcast, you probably have. But if you have not, go over to the Draft Network. Check out a lot of their content. They just debuted uh, earlier this summer. So they've been putting out content now for the last few months. It's been a lot of fun to check that out on not just a weekly basis, but a daily basis uh, for all the different things that they're pounding out over on the draftnetwork.com. But uh, really appreciate the time here, Kyle. Let's start with a player that... It's been interesting just to kind of follow because obviously the the story with David Sills, the wide receiver from West Virginia, goes back. I mean, we're talking almost a decade now uh, with how long this guy has been in the news. But just the, his journey the last two years uh, at West Virginia as a receiver, he went to the junior college route and then finally fully committed back to West Virginia as a wide receiver and has done nothing but just tear defenses up in the Big 12 how do you feel that his game transitions well to the NFL? What do you think he does best, and where does he need to improve? Sure. Uh, anytime you've got a guy who is a little bit of a late bloomer relative to finding a landing spot with a position, you want to see how this player executes the technical components of the position. And, and David, as a route runner, I've been very pleased with what I've seen from him in that, that area of growth, getting off the line of scrimmage and defeating press coverage and being able to snap his hips to open and create space for himself at the line of scrimmage. So this is a big, tall body. This guy's like 6'3", 6'4", so he's got longer limbs. So that short area quickness is not a natural strength of his. I love seeing David really work on his footwork to optimize his change of direction skills because that's a natural barrier for these really big receivers. David is a big-time vertical player. Love the way he tracks the ball over his shoulder down the field. His size is a nightmare in the red zone. West Virginia loves to put him in isolation, and they'll run him slants and fades. And I haven't found a corner yet this year that's had success covering him one-on-one in those isolation situations. So he's a big-time red zone threat. Uh, David 
would really like to continue to see him embrace his physicality, that next step for him as a player. is uh, He's got long reach. So getting up to the top of some of those route stems and bumping defenders with his hand and being subtle with some hand usage, he's really started this year to implement a, a chop move to get guys that are running in his hip pocket off of his body so he can create some late separation. Continuing to phase those pieces into his game, I think, is what will be needed for David to be a high-volume receiver at the next level. But as of right now, really, really promising as a vertical guy and a guy that can win in the red zone. Kyle, I want to ask you about one more guy from the Big 12, and he made news last week. We talked about Rodney Anderson, the running back from Oklahoma with Tony last week, and just, you know, hey, he announced that he was doing his rehab away from the team, and that kind of raised some eyebrows. I asked Tony, you know, he said, oh, you know, he's probably going to declare – let, you know, let, just 48 hours later, 72 hours later, he declares for the draft. What can fans expect from a Rodney Anderson? Obviously, injuries are going to be a huge part of his evaluation and really his valuation in April. But what do we see from Rodney Anderson, the football player at Oklahoma? Sure. Uh, I think when I watched Rodney, uh, when he went down with his injury, I kind of jumped the gun and did a, a full film assessment of him uh, in anticipation that he would be a part of this class. And, uh, you never you never like to see uh, a player go down with injury. And a guy like Rodney, uh, I think he's got some, uh, as Eagles listeners, you'll appreciate some Jay Ajayi-type components to his running style. Interesting. As as being I like a that. big guy who's uh, got this wild stallion component to him where he, he really contorts his body and gallops into the open field and but Rodney, for me, the challenge with Rodney is so many of his big plays game against big-time holes and against light boxes. And it wasn't something that I was so concerned with with Joe Mixon because I saw him grind out additional tough yardage when those opportunities were there for him, whereas Rodney Anderson, kind of what you saw with Jay Ajayi during – the end of his time in Miami and some of the struggles that he's had in some games in Philadelphia, if you're able to really stack up the line of scrimmage, his ability to get lateral with any amount of quickness is not a strength of his. So Rodney for me is a, was before the injury, a solid day two pick, not necessarily sure he would have been my RB one when it was all said and done, but he is definitely a player that has some explosive components with a really big physical frame and the ability to move that frame in a way that bigger guys typically don't. So Kyle, one I know one of the things I love most about the Draft Network and the thing that you guys do is really uh, you split up between all of your, your lead analysts, you split up the entire country by conference. And so you're in charge of the Big Ten, and so you've really kind of done your fine focus. While you're watching players outside of that conference, obviously, that's really kind of been your area of focus throughout the course of this draft year. And you, you know, obviously have done a great job of breaking down a lot of those players. I want to ask you about Karen Higdon, the running back from Michigan, because uh, a guy, he's really caught my eye every single time I've watched Michigan this year. He's not the sexiest player in terms of, you know, size, speed, but he just finds a way to get it done. And the upside's not crazy, but I think this is an NFL player. We broke him down on the show last week. I'm interested to get your thoughts on him as well. Oh, definitely. He runs a lot bigger than his size, too. Uh, You would assume watching this guy challenge guys on the second level that, so he's he's two two ten two fifteen two twenty. I believe he's closer to around two hundred pounds. But uh, Higdon for me was my top rated 
Big Ten running back coming into the year and that was eligible for the 2019 NFL draft. So obviously Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin notwithstanding. Uh, Miles Sanders made a push midseason, but Karan has just really taken off this year. and He doesn't have to worry about splitting carries this year like he did with Chris Evans last year in Michigan. They've really embraced a bell cow type role for Higdon, and you're seeing some of those explosive plays. So the fact that he runs so much bigger than his size, he has good vertical speed so he can get down the field in the open field and break pursuit angles. And I, I like his quickness. I like the, his ability to pick his feet up and put him down exactly where he wants him so he can work through some high traffic areas. I definitely agree with you that this is an NFL running back. And this is a guy that has some upside at the next level who can create some explosive plays based on the traits that we've seen at Michigan. You know, one guy watching in the Big Ten, and Michigan just played Penn State this week, and one guy that uh, has kind of stood out to me with you know this being his first year as a starter, I know he's pretty high for you uh, coming into the season, and that's Penn State corner Amani Oruwariye. Uh, you know, again, his first year as a starter, an oversized corner. I want to say he's 6'2", around 190 pounds, and mostly off coverage with this kid. And I feel like he's the kind of guy in some ways that fits what the Eagles do schematically. Kind of reminds me in some ways of Razul Douglas coming out of West Virginia a couple of yeah. years ago. Uh, what have you seen from Amani Oruwariye and how he can transition to the NFL? Yeah, so if you were to watch the App State game in week one from Penn State sure. and you weren't really able to get a hold of the coach's film, you probably came away from – that game with a poor reception of Amani because he's playing, as you said, off the line of scrimmage. They're throwing a lot of stuff in front of his face, and he's the guy that's constantly tackling the guy that's catching the ball. So you're saying, well, what the heck? This guy's giving up all these catches. But with them playing as much off and zone coverage as they do at Penn State, Amani's really got great length. And as you said, Razul Douglas, that was one of his big strengths at West Virginia was his ability to play zone coverage, key the football, break and attack the football, and then use that length to his advantage to disrupt the catch point. And uh, that he, I will say this for Amani, even going back to last year, I believe he played in 30 games coming into this season, but this is his first season as an established starter. He has made some wonderful plays on the ball. His ability to contort his body around the frame of receivers, over top of receivers with that, without impeding them and interfering on them and their, their opportunity to catch the football really stands out to me. So typically you get these quick twitch guys that can cut in front of the, the face of receivers as they're addressing the ball at the catch point. Amani plays around them. He plays through them, but he's got a really good sense of timing at when he arrives at the catch point, how to attack that football so that he can play physical but he's not doing so in a way that's going to get him penalized. So that's an area of his game that I really, really like. You, know, you and I have been doing this long enough that when you know we, we start to expect the, the kinds of players we're going to see at different positions from different schools, and we kind of have a picture in our mind of what an Iowa tight end looks like, and that typically – is a guy like T.J. Hawkinson, who, uh, you know, watching him over the summer, he really stood out to me because not only was he reliable as a receiver, but a standout blocker. And we've come to see that from guys like George Kittle and, you know, C.J. Fedorowicz and going back to a lot of these guys over the last five, six, seven years, and really beyond that with Kirk Ferentz there as the head coach. But one guy who doesn't necessarily fit that mold is his teammate Noah Fant. And Iowa does a nice job of really mix, get, mixing in the use of both these guys. They are a 12 and 13 personnel team, so you'll see a lot of those guys on the field at the same time. I know you're a big fan of both. Tell me what you like about both these guys. 
Uh, it's almost like a thunder and lightning dynamic, right? Or Hawkinson's not slow, but he's not fast like Noah Fant. <laughs> and uh, when you get both of these guys on the field and they're, they're able to flex Noah Fant out into the slot where they're playing him in the backfield as a move piece and they got Hawkinson with his hand in the dirt, uh, there's no real good way to key on that personnel because they're flexible. They're both able to get into the intermediate areas of the field and Noah Fant's got great speed to, to catch a short pass and turn and get up the field. And Hawkinson as an inline blocker is, is uh, very shows a lot of prototypical reps as far as getting his hands inside, aligning his feet behind his pads, and then running those feet and creating space for ball carriers. So if you're looking for somebody who can step in and make an impact right away on your team as a traditional tight end, Hawkinson's going to be a guy that really stands out to you. If your team needs an X factor, a guy that can play in the red zone or play out in space, almost like a Jimmy Graham type of role when Jimmy Graham was at his best in New Orleans, I think that's much more of a Noah Fant type usage at the NFL level. I think if you're going to plan on using him in that way, you're going to maximize his value, and that has the potential to be highly coveted based on what you're seeing some teams do in the NFL with these mismatches where they're able to get these big athletic tight ends on linebackers or safeties. Last question for you, Kyle, and I just want to know who is a player that through all the the film that you've studied so far that just isn't getting enough love, you know, a a guy that you really, really love that, you know, not enough people are talking about at this point in the process? So I'll give you two because I can't just give you one. One's a Big Ten guy. The other one plays out west. Uh, Tyler Beattis, the redshirt sophomore center from Wisconsin, is an extremely impressive player. He might be the best player on that Wisconsin offensive line, in my opinion. He's a power center, like a Travis, Travis Frederick-type player. And I was blown away watching him going back to last year as a redshirt freshman. The polish that he had with his short area movement skills to work across the face of defenders at the line of scrimmage, his hand usage was really, really nice. And in a thin quarterback class, I have to give a shout-out to quarterback Brett Rippon of Boise State. Uh, he's not a first-round talent, but if you're looking for a potential target on day two, Reppin plays a lot of pro-style refs. He understands route combinations, and he's reading coverages after the snap, and you can see his eyes working through progression. Uh, I, I believe he's just a couple yards short of setting the conference record for career passing yards, so this is an extremely accomplished passer as well. Uh, I like I think the ball's popping off his hand at a different pace this year than what I saw from 2017 film. So if you're looking for a quarterback prospect that might move the needle on day two, I think you could get some interest out of Brett Rippon. Kyle, great stuff as expected. Appreciate the time here as on, as always on the Journey to the Draft podcast. We'll talk to you again in the future. Well, thanks for having me, friend. Anytime. Great stuff there from Kyle Krabs. Hopefully we can get him back on the show again very soon. But before we transition to our next segment, you guys know how much I love it when you tweet out the show or you post about it on Facebook. But what we love most here, though, is when you take a minute and head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever wherever you listen and give us a rating and even leave us a comment. I wanted to give a shout-out to Richard in Charleston, South Carolina. And Richard actually left a question. Uh, Richard asked, Fran, can you tell me some position coaches in the college ranks that are so good that if their player is not excelling, he probably 
probably won't in the NFL either. Conversely, if you dare to name poorer coaches that may hold their players' development back and whose players may not flourish in the NFL uh, without better coaching. So thanks. Good question there from Richard. Because the longer I do this, and since I do watch college guys year-round, and I do start to get a feel for position groups that consistently not only turn out NFL talent, but turn out well-coached NFL talent. For instance, North Carolina had a couple of years where you just saw not only talented receivers, but skilled receivers in the NFL. You know, Mac Hollins comes to mind. And, you know, one of the reasons I loved Mac was you could tell he was really well-coached. Ryan Switzer came out around that same time, I think at the same year, uh, and you could tell he was a very well-coached receiver. It's no surprise that the the Eagles went and they plucked Gunter Brewer uh, to be their wide receiver coach when that position opened up this offseason. You look at South Carolina, you know that receiving core they have there right now. We talked about it earlier with, uh, or we talked about it earlier last week. You know, I think when you look at the, the Gamecocks, Debo Samuel, Brian Edwards, and Ortrey Smith, and all those guys, you know that receiving core right there. Even the young guys, they're well coached. You know, Penn State the last few years, they've been churning out players over the last couple of drafts that were. NFL ready, you know, their releases, their route running, they just were polished. So it wasn't a surprise when Alabama had an opening at wide receivers coach, they go and they pluck Josh Gaddis away from the Nittany Lions to coach their wide receivers. And now you're seeing a lot of those same techniques translate now down there with the Crimson Tide and all their young receivers. So, you know, you can absolutely see when certain position groups are coached up to a high level. Now, a lot of people view that in different ways. You know, that's the knock sometimes on Alabama defensive linemen is that what you're seeing from them now is all you're going to get. They are completely maxed out. So you're not going to get a lot of growth there from them as players. Same thing in the secondary. They're coached by Nick Saban, one of the best secondary coaches in the entire world, maybe the best secondary coach in the entire world. They're not going to get better than where they are right now. That's a knock that some people will give a lot of those guys from Alabama. So there's two sides of that, but one of the other big things, and I think that's really, really important to kind of take away from this, is just because these players are going to the league doesn't mean they're being well coached. Sometimes, you know, they may just be put in position to succeed, and that doesn't mean that they're NFL ready. Remember, back in the day, people used to say Florida wide receivers could not be trusted because Steve Spurrier's scheme let them put up huge numbers, and that did not translate to the NFL. Same could be said for air raid quarterbacks, court, you know, quarterbacks that played for Mike Leach and Dana Holgerson and you know now Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. Uh, you know, And while there are guys that are currently starting to buck that trend, you think of Patrick Mahomes, and obviously Baker Mayfield goes number one, uh, You know, on the whole – that's still something that gets talked about. Production does not always equal effectiveness, and that's across the board at any position. So very good question, Richard. Uh, something I could talk about for a long time and really kind of dig deeper into. Appreciate you leaving that. And again, thanks as well for rating the show on our Apple Podcast page. All right, it's about that time. Let's welcome in Ben Fennel and look at some of the biggest matchups to watch this weekend in college football. It's time for Saturday Scouting. Time to welcome in my friend Ben Fennell, who you can follow on Twitter at Ben Fennell underscore NFL. Ben, let's get things going here. Let's start with that game you were at out west, the West Coast swing with Washington State against Cal. Your first visit to Pullman, if I'm correct on that. Correct, Uh, You did have Washington State earlier this year, and I know you were really, really impressed with their left tackle, Andre Dillard. We talked about him a little bit last week. You talked about him in week two uh, before and after that USC game. What did you see from him here against the Golden Bears? Yeah, my second game I've seen in person this year. Saw him against USC earlier in the year. The only loss of Washington State this year came in that USC game. It was a three-point loss, a couple controversial calls that Mike Leach has been very vocal about in the media since then. But Andre Dillard in those two games has pitched an absolute shutout, and I think I've watched close to every snap of him this season. 
and he is just a stud left tackle. He's always balanced, always under control, can run the arc. He's got power in the run game, will run his feet and move defenders. He just looks like a really well-put-together prospect at tackle. It doesn't seem like a lot of the NFL draft Knicks are talking about at this point in the process. So you're confident, like, seeing him in person, he's a, he's a tackle. He hasn't given me any reasons to say he needs to move into guard because of limitations. I do see on occasion he may give up his chest or he may get bowled back, uh, giving up some power. So I don't know if the length is there. I'd have to see what he's coming in with with his arm length. Yep. And I would love to see him at the Senior Bowl and just get him into a more pro-style sets at Washington State. They have him taking these vertical sets on occasional snaps that I don't think do him any favors as far as transitioning his pass sets into the NFL. So I'd love to just see him at the Senior Bowl against better competition, older competition, see how he fares in those one-on-ones. How did the, uh, the quarterback, Minshew, look? It wasn't Minshew's best game. It was a little bit up and down. He was a little bit streaky. I mean, you also have to remember, he's the only quarterback in the country with five games of 400 yards. This kid's been slinging. He's a Heisman contender. Washington State's 8-1. and one. They're number 10 in the country. He wasn't as prolific as we've seen uh, so far this season. He struggled. Wasn't on the same page with some of the receivers at times. Had some balls tipped at the line of scrimmage. One was tipped and uh, turned into an interception. So he still gave you a bunch of throws to get excited about. Showed some anticipation on some deep outbreaking routes from the opposite hash. Had some good placement on some back shoulders and some fades. He'll hang in the pocket. He's got a lot of tools. He was a grad transfer. He's an older kid. Another kid I would love to see go down to the Senior Bowl in Mobile just to get a, uh, a closer look at him with some better uh, talent around him. So you brought up one name that I know you wanted to hit on, and I have no idea anything about this player. I don't even know what position he plays. Like You are completely introducing me to Peyton Pallor. Yeah, Peyton Pallor, Washington State linebacker. He's actually in his sixth year. He broke his foot last year, was given an extra year of eligibility. Six foot, 230, so more of the squattier, traditional, old-school linebackers. He looks a lot like Cam Smith from USC. Okay. Kind of that shorter, old-school linebacker, more of a uh, run plugger. But this kid can really move sideline to sideline. He plays well in space. He was able to run down the quarterback at Cal on some extended plays on uh, more than a few snaps. A couple interesting things off the field, though. His sister's actually married to the Alabama defensive coordinator, Tosh Lapoy, And he was given an offer this past offseason to join Alabama. So he elected to stay at Washington State. His family has a bunch of lineage through the Washington State uh, Cougars program. His uncle Steve played in the NFL as a quarterback as, uh, with the Cowboys and the Chiefs. His dad Scott also played in the NFL with a linebacker for the Saints. They all went to Washington State. So he wants to stay there and uh, live out the family legacy. Interesting. All right. So uh, let's get into the, the, the <clears throat> categories here. One play takeaway from this game, Washington State versus Cal. Yeah, the one play takeaway, I just want to make sure fans understand the perspective that Washington State was a much better team even though they had to squeak it out late in a 19-13 win. And just this one play, I think, represented the game and the flow of the game. Uh, Washington State had an interception. One of the rush ends, Willie Taylor, was able to pick off a ball from uh, Cal's quarterback, Garber, ran it back down inside the five, fumbled out the end zone. So it was just plays like that, that Washington State was making plays, was in a good position to add some more points, and all of a sudden fumbled out the end zone, Cal gets the ball back. So, you know, there's a couple plays like that that I think didn't really represent the score and some, you know, just boneheaded plays by Washington State and they weren't able to capitalize. Interesting. And then uh, you're off the bus guy. Who was the most physically imposing player you saw in person? Yeah, Cal doesn't have a whole lot of prospects in the draft this year. Just a down year. They're kind of transitioning to the new coaching staff and recruiting classes. But they were able to get a grad transfer from University of Michigan, a four-star tight end, Ian Bunting. Hmm. 
Uh, so he's a redshirt senior, but this kid's 6'7", 260. Right. Yeah, he's, he's, got been, he's been on shoulders. my radar a little bit. He's, he's yeah. a good-looking kid off the yep. bus. And just watching him in warm-ups and catching passes, you're just wondering, who is this kid? He mm. stands up over everybody. Has somewhat of a Jimmy Graham type of body and how broad his shoulders are. So like I was saying, he's a grad transfer. He only had 11 catches at Michigan. Really wasn't featured in the offense when he first got there as a as a hot recruit. Jake Butt was kind of the featured tight end in the offense. He already has 17 receptions at Cal for just under 200 yards. So a uh, good-looking kid that didn't have the production at Michigan. Obviously, Cal uh, isn't the team that you know is really going to put him on the spotlight or give him a stage, but a prospect to keep an eye on. Sure, he's been on my radar uh, for the last couple of years, going back to his days with the Wolverines. Uh, and then let's go with the down-the-road freak show, who's a guy you're not necessarily looking at for 2019, but maybe we're looking at for 2020, even 2021. So down-the-road freak show, Washington State's got this freshman running back, Max Borke. He's 5'10", 190, and i got to make okay. the comparison. He's a white running back, and this kid looks like a clone of Christian McCaffrey. He's great contact balance. He's great in the open field. He catches the ball very well out of the backfield. They love giving it to the running backs as checkdowns in the flats and letting them get some yards after catch. And he's very elusive with the ball in his hands. And he's just that undersized running back that's good in the pass game. And it just you just can't help but see that Christian McCaffrey kind of comparison and feel. He sounds gritty. Very gritty. Very sounds gritty. Sounds like a coach's son. Coach's son, football IQ, first in, <laughs> last out. <laughs> Locker room guy, the whole deal. <laughs> All right, well, let's get to this week's matchup because uh, you're going back to the SEC. Tell us about the game you're heading to this weekend. Yep, so they're going to be making a trip down to the swamp, Gainesville, Florida, for uh, South Carolina, coming to see number 21, Florida. So you've seen Florida a couple of times. I don't think you've seen South Carolina yet this I year. I have not seen them yet this year. All right, so let's, let's start it off with, uh, you know, because they've got some players on both sides of the football, South Carolina. Uh, namely, let's start with that offensive line because we're going to get to the receivers in a bit. <clears throat> but they've got a couple of guys – Zach Bailey at guard, Dennis Daly at tackle, two seniors. We've talked about both guys on the show here. I watched Bailey as a junior, and he was playing right tackle as a junior. Haven't studied him yet this year. And then Daly is the left tackle, a junior college transfer, who's now in his second year as a starter there. Yeah, a lot of interesting prospects on the South Carolina team. I know their season really hasn't developed the way they want. They're 5-3 and three right now. Everybody thought they were putting together yeah. kind of a dominant roster uh, last year, and they're really going to make a splash in the SEC this year. It just hasn't worked out. But starting with Dak Bailey, 6'5", 3'11". In 2015 and 16, as a freshman sophomore, he played center and left guard. Mm. All of a sudden, junior year 2017, they kick him over to right tackle. Looks a little bit out of place over there, and they kick him back over to right, or excuse me, left guard for this season. So I did see him in person last year in the opener against NC State. Okay. Everyone thought NC State was going to be a championship contender that with Bradley, yep. Bradley Chubb, Contavious Street, uh, Justin Jones, B.J. Hill, and Zach Bailey really played well and dominated up front and gave, uh, excuse me, Jake Bentley time in the pocket against that fierce NC State defensive line. Yeah. I think his natural position is certainly at guard as opposed to tackle. Great play strength, wicked punch at the point of attack. He's a mauler. He's a people mover. But on the downside of that, he's a bit heavy-legged. He's not very athletic. He's really just a phone booth mauler. Yeah, and I think you could probably say the same thing for Daly, the left tackle as well. Yeah, Daly's interesting. Daly is pretty athletic, and and what you need to know is he was a JUCO transfer, came over from Georgia Military Academy, and actually pushed a redshirt senior out of that spot, Malik Young. Last year. Yes, and Malik Young was the left tackle in that game I just mentioned against NC State to start last year. Okay. 
And then he eventually worked his way into the lineup halfway through the season and has huh. been the left tackle in- incumbent starter and since then. 18 straight starts. He did miss the old Miss game with an ankle injury. Tony Pauline gave him a second-round grade. And a wow. lot of scouts, I thought that was a little bit rich, but a lot of scouts are really impressed with his athleticism. He has light feet. He has loose hips. He has a very strong inside hand to close off any inside moves and spin moves, things like that. He could run the arc very well against speed rushes. His one issue, he has some technique flaws. He's a yes. bit of a waist bender. He's a bit of a lunger with his punch. But you can see the athleticism. You can see the light feet. He's got tools. He's got traits. He just really needs to refine the technique. See, essentially, I, I, first of all, I don't see him as a second-round guy uh, at all. I, I liked him. But I like him for what he is, and I don't think he's a starting tackle in the NFL. He's got heavy hands, and I li- that's probably the thing I like most about him. He's really tough to move, and he can get some movement of his own. So, like, body type-wise, I think he's got it. I agree with you. He's definitely a waist bender. I do worry about his feet a little mm-hmm. bit, but I don't think he's a guard either because of his pad level. I think he's a guy that's got to play on the outside. You know, when he sits back and wants to run the arc on these speed rushes, he's fine. He's yeah. got light feet. He's athletic. It's the second he wants to get his hands on you and his feet don't match up with his hands, and he's lunging, he yep. gets off balance, he reaches. It's going to be an interesting battle this week against Ja'Kai Polite with a wicked first step. He's an elite speed rusher. If Malik Young just trusts his feet, or excuse me, uh, Dennis Daly, trusts yeah. his feet and trusts his speed and that he could run the arc, I think he can mirror a guy like Ja'Kai Polite. It's the second you try to lunge and you go reach, or you watch a defensive end try to maybe knock your hands down, you're getting off balance. That's where I'm getting worried with his technique flaws. Yeah, to me, like it's it's not necessarily. I agree with you. It's not necessarily about that first move from polite. If polite tries to do this, one of those speed to powers or one of those inside swims or his inside spin moves, that's where I think he could be in trouble. Because uh, you and I were talking after watching Daly too. You know, he's the, one of those athletes that that first initial movement, he's okay. Once he's got to redirect or change direction, now it gets kind of wonky and you don't really know what to expect. And those guys are very interesting because you have the tools and you have the traits. If an offensive line coach says, you know what, he has a technique flaw, I could fix that. What I can't teach is light feet. I can't teach his size. I can't teach his length. And just like in the Kentucky game, he played really well for three quarters. Then Josh Allen started to turn it on in the fourth quarter. Another mm-hmm. great matchup for NFL scouts to take a look at. Again, a technique flaw. Daly was just turning his hips to the sideline prematurely yeah. and giving kind of a short corner to Josh Allen to turn and cause havoc on the quarterback. All right, let's get to some of these skill guys because uh, there are a very well-coached group of receivers there at South Carolina, something we talked about earlier in the show. Uh, and you look at Debo Samuel, the senior, uh, only played a handful of games last year uh, after break, or before breaking his leg. We talked about him on the show last week with Mike Mayock. Uh, what is your overall summation of what you've seen so far from Debo Samuel? Yeah, he's a tough one to figure out. Is he that running back style of body playing receiver, almost like a Randall Cobb? But Randall Cobb, yep. who was 5'10", 190, similar bodies, he ran 4.46. And I just don't see that type of long speed from Debo Samuel. I see much more of the you know, Robert Woods, Farrell Cooper running in the mid-4.5s being just over 6 feet, 200, 210. But you know, I see a compact, a rocked-up frame with really strong hands and that tough physical mentality with the ball in his hands. Mm-hmm. He's really a yak nightmare. You want to get him the ball in a multitude of ways, whether it's bubble screens, slants, jet sweeps. Put him in the backfield if you need to. He can return for you, punts and kickoffs. I saw him in that NC State game to uh, start the season last year. Three touchdowns right off the bat. Returned the opening kick, 97 yards. Had a 39-yard touchdown where he one-handed it with his left hand. 
right. six touchdowns that. in those first three games. Then he broke his leg. And a lot of scouts are concerned that that break, broken leg really set him back a little bit in his recovery. He looks a little bit slower this year, maybe a, a five to ten pounds heavier than he should be. I know uh, DeAndre Baker kind of swallowed him up a little bit a couple weeks ago in that big Georgia game. So, you know, he's going to be a tough one to figure out, and you're going to have you're going to have to have a plan for him if you draft him. Yeah, he's a guy that I I love on film, but I think I you know as I continue to kind of talk about my evaluation with receiver prospects, I, I dove deep into this subject over mm-hmm. on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast this week. If you want to go check that out, but you know I wonder what his ceiling is, but I love the player, like especially based off what I saw as a junior. Like I love what he brings to the table. Love him after the catch. A lot of the things you said. Uh, he's got the right mindset with the ball in his hands. Um, just want to continue to see how he looks, especially physically, because I agree with you. I don't think he's truly explosive. I do think he's got long speed just in that first 10 15 yards he's not going to blow the ball blow by you but everybody wants you know a yak nightmare and someone you just give the ball to is he a plug-and-play player in the NFL can he just fit in any system I think I think he's the kind of guy who can in theory fit for pretty much anybody now it's just a matter of how you're going to use him is he going to play outside is he going to play inside you know how are you going to use him? I think in theory, like any team could use a player like uh, like Debo Samuel. Right. I just feel like there are Debo Samuels that come out every year, and you kind of see Correct. certain skill sets mismanaged, and maybe you shouldn't be using them in fashion A as opposed to fashion B. And you can look at players, whether it's you know Tavon Austin that come out of West mm-hmm. Virginia, and he was used vertically so much in St. Louis, and people question his usage based on his size and skill set. Yeah, I, I actually kind of like the – I'd never heard the Randall Cobb comparison. I kind of like that one um, for Debo Samuel. All right, uh, a lot of other guys for the South Carolina team. I mean, Rashad Fenton is a senior corner. I know Keyshawn Nixon, I believe, is the other senior corner there. For the Gamecocks, Javon Kinlaw is a player I know you've watched. Brian Edwards is a underclassman receiver there, a teammate – for Debo Samuel, one of the other underclassmen there, Artrey Smith, is another guy that caught my eye last year after Debo got hurt. But I think he's now hurt and he's out. So yeah, there's another receiver too. I think She Smith or yes, Shai Smith, yep, another, is another one. They have yeah, they've got very a bunch interesting of guys. receiving corner. Yeah. So does anybody stand out from that group that you're going to have your eyes on? Yeah, Rashad Fenton's a really interesting corner. He's a little undersized, five ten, one eighty. He's from the Miami area, Miami Carroll City High School, just like Santana Moss, Tenoris Moss, Kenny Phillips, Alan Hearns, even Flo Rider, Rick Ross, one of those. Uh, you know, classic Miami high schools out there. He's had th- an interception in three consecutive games. A lot more bail and off coverage this year. He was primarily a press corner in 2016, 2017. We'll also do some kickoff returning. But I'm just really concerned about his size. I'm not sure he can hang outside the numbers yeah. uh, in the NFL. I would see him project more to a nickel player, but he doesn't really have that twitchy, reactionary, mm-hmm. click and close speed. So. Not really sure where he's going to fit as far as the NFL. You're going to have to have a plan for him as well. Reminds me a little bit of Avante Maddox here in uh, Philadelphia. Oh, interesting. Kind of that smaller corner that you saw. You know, you questioned his long speed and his foot speed, and you questioned his size. And Philadelphia projected Avante Maddox as a nickel, and now he's playing free safety for us. Right. So, you know, you get talented players like that with a lot of speed and ball skills, you'll find a, you know, a place for them in the NFL. All right, how about Florida? You've done this team already uh, this year. I know you saw them in the past as well. We've talked a lot about Ja'Kai Polite, uh, the pass rusher. Love that matchup to watch here against Dennis Daly in this game. Who else are you excited to see in this game? Yeah, definitely want to see uh, Ja'Kai Polite again. Jabari Zaniga is another interesting prospect that I think might be a more complete pro prospect than Ja'Kai Polite. Everyone's going to get excited with Polite's foot speed and edge rushing and his ability to bend and flatten to the quarterback. But if you can't play on first and second down and hold up against the run, I'm not sure where your value is going to be in the NFL draft as a one-dimensional player. 
So I'd like to see if Zaniga can maybe add to his repertoire and really fill out his whole uh, body of work and you know sneak into maybe being a top 100 prospect. On the back end, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson's a very interesting prospect. He's more of what I call a cover safety, and I compared him to uh, North Carolina's MJ Stewart, who's now the nickel in Tampa Bay, in that I think he could slide into being a nickel back in the NFL. He's got coverage skills. He's not afraid to stick his nose in the run game. He's an excellent blitzer. He plays in space very well. So another guy, I just want to see you know, how he's going to round out his repertoire and his body of work. So a lot of matchups here to watch in this game. Another one I'll be excited to watch here this weekend is in the SEC as well, and that's Mississippi State-Alabama. That Mississippi State offensive line, uh, Ben, against this Alabama D-line, I think will be interesting. One little matchup, Quinn and Williams, who you know we talked about him earlier with Tony. I mean, 10 tackles, 2.5 sacks, 3.5 tackles for loss against LSU last week. Going up against Elkton Jenkins, I mean, this is, a, this is obviously a huge test for Elkton Jenkins. If he's going to be a day two, pick, uh, day two pick, I mean, that's a game you want to see him really stand out. And I did that night game last year in Starkville, and Mississippi State nearly had the big upset. Alabama had to pull it out late. Jalen Hurts pulled the game. or pulled a rabbit out of a hat in the fourth quarter. But, you know, Mississippi State really gave them a challenge and one of the bigger challenges that Alabama faced all last year. So I'll dive into that matchup, among others, in this week's Saturday Scouting article, which you can find on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, or, of course, on my Twitter feed, at FDuffy3. Ben will be back next week. We'll get your feelings on this game. Great stuff, as always. Again, go check out Ben on Twitter, at BenFennel underscore NFL. That's two N's and two L's on Fennel. All right, time to wrap up this podcast with some Q&A. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the Draft Mailbag. All right, so this week in the Mailbag, we're going to start on Twitter with Paul R., who reached out asking me, who are some of my favorite linebackers in this class that could translate quickly to the NFL? And we're going to go to the senior class, Paul. I think you look at Tavon Coney from Notre Dame. He's a guy that really caught my eye over the summer. Really instinctive, aggressive kid. Very good against the run downhill. Uh, very aggressive. He triggers quickly. A good tackler. He's athletic enough to play in space. I think he can be a three-down player. Uh, TJ Edwards from Wisconsin is a guy that I really like as well. You know, the, He's not as athletic as Coney. I do think, though, that he's athletic enough, and I think his eyes and his instincts allow him to even play a little bit faster than how he'll time this spring at the Combine. He's not a plus athlete, but when you see his spatial awareness, his ability to recognize routes in zone coverage, uh, he made some great plays on the ball throughout the course of his career. So TJ Edwards would be there for me as well. And then Jermaine Pratt, you know, he's a former safety at NC State. Uh, made that transition. Now he's in his first year as a starter there for the Wolfpack. Doesn't necessarily play like a former safety, though. He's a big kid. He's a little bit of a thumper, does have athleticism, and obviously uh, is used to playing in space with that defensive back background. So three guys that have that three down potential in this senior class. I would say Coney Edwards and then Jermaine Pratt. I hope to see all three of those guys at the Senior Bowl. So good question there from Paul. All right, great stuff this week from Tony Pauline, Ben Fennel, Kyle Krabs, and all of you out there listening, whether you're on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, or any of our podcast platforms. Thank you and again for listening, as always, to the Journey of the Draft podcast. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.